podcast is scheduled for 10 questions. Fighting out of New York, standing at 5 feet 11 inches tall, and wearing the red, white, and blue trunks, presenting Kyle Brandt. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. I appreciate everyone listening, watching, following, etc. You're going to be glad that you are, because this is going to be a really, really cool episode. You know the deal on 10 questions here? It's not just a conversation, it's a competition. We have 10 questions, somehow tangentially related to the contestant's life. They leave with a score, depending on how many they get right. And before we get to the contestant, why don't we give him or her, I'll keep it a secret, some context as to how some prior contestants have done with their score out of 10 points. Roll it. I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I got six out of 10. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd, and I got a seven out of 10. Hey, I'm Aaron Andrews. I got a five out of 10. I'm Tim Robbins, and I got seven out of 10. Just saying. I'm Guy Fieri, and I got six out of 10. It's Kyle Cheats. I don't cheat, but I have an unbelievably eclectic list of contestants, and let's add to that right now. He's already blown away. I'm not sure this contestant knows exactly what he's getting into, and that's just the way we like it. He is one of the funniest people in the world. He's had a decades-long career. He's adding to it with arm's length, which is a wild kind of batshit idea that I love, where he's going to do a comedy show from the comfort of his home. He calls it a brand new hour of material funneled through his shut-in psychosis. And most importantly, this gentleman was a wedding DJ in Northern Virginia. His name is Patton Oswalt. Patton, welcome to 10 Questions. Thank you so, wow, you you started right at my start. The wedding DJ. Oh, yes. We're going to get into all of it. How are you feeling, man? Do you know what this is all about, or are you just going to let it ride? I'm going to let it ride. I mean, look, the the fact that you were able to pull in your your range from Guy Fieri to Paul Rudd, (laughs) that's a pretty wide field, dude. It is wide, and so are the scores. So our lowest score ever has been a 3 out of 10. Tim Robbins and Paul Rudd tied with a 7 out of 10. Okay. Just, wherever the river is going to take you on this thing, Patton, every yeah. question I'm going to ask you, some of them are going to sound very strange, but I can only promise to you that they're somehow related to your life and your career. That's my promise to you. And when you get them right or wrong, you're going to hear some sounds. If you get the answer right to a question, okay. you're going to hear a bitch and badass sound. It sounds just like this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, man. That's you killing. That's you killing, oh, which I know you I need, always I do. Need- I need that in my life whenever I do something good. Okay, well, send it to me. I just, yeah, I need that. (laughs) All right, but however, there's always the yin to that, Yang. Um, Not that you bomb, Patton, but every comic does at some point. And if you get a question wrong, you're going to hear this. Filing for the exits. Whoa. You're acing the hole. Your joke that you can just keep if if the set's not going right. It's called a coin toss. And if I ask you a question, and you have nothing. You're just totally clueless. You can call uh-huh. for the coin toss one time in the 10 questions, and I'll give you a choice between A and B. Does that sound all right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, yeah, but I only use that once, right? Yes, and I'll keep encouraging throughout the set. Be like, maybe you want to use the coin yeah. toss pen, maybe. <laughs> Guy Fieri never used it. Said, screw it. I'm just going to plow right Don't through it. Don't tell me that. Now it's that, that's going to be in my head now. Yeah, but he got like oh. a 5 out of 10. His score sucked. You can beat Fieri. So, so he didn't make it to Flavortown. He never leaves Flavortown. I don't that think. Is, what am I saying? He's that on the website, thebomb.com. It's Fieri. <laughs> it is all it. Patton, let's get into it. Let's light this candle because we got a lot to cover. Patton Oswalt, 10 questions right now. Question number one. Your category is parenthood. Parenthood is the category. 
Pat, and I have a six-year-old son. He came home from school yesterday and he told me a joke. Can you finish the punchline to this joke? His joke was, what is a pencil's favorite state? Oh, Pennsylvania. Patton says Pennsylvania. Is he right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. You got it. We're off and running. I feel like you're setting me up for something, but okay, let's keep going. There's a palpable <laughs> relief on your face, Pat. You, yeah, there you was. Play, you played for thousands of people and high know, comedy man. specials. You look terrified right now. Why does this make me so nervous? What is this? I don't know, but don't we like start this. out right. with a tone of comedy. Pat, yes. when you started comedy, what what was your level of success that you wanted to achieve? Did you have like a goal in mind that you wanted to hit? Yeah, at the time, I just I wanted um, I wanted an hour on HBO. I wanted an hour of my own time to say whatever I wanted. I was so influenced by watching like George Carlin and Dennis Miller and Bobcat Goldthwait, like those specials. Sure. Um, the comic so, Yes, yeah, that's where I wanted to be. So you've hit it. You, you've done incredibly <laughs> well. I mean, listen, I love Bobcat too. And I watched oh, him God. trot when John Candy was the voice mm. of the horse. I love him. <laughs> but Patton, I mean, you, you've done great. Yeah. There's a lot still going on for you. Um, everyone who does great though, that hour special that certainly you've done, you've done a million different specials. There has to be with, as with a superhero, an origin story, a starting point. We, um, we have a piece of tape. And I want you to oh, know it, it is from what we believe is your first ever paid gig. Are you okay with us playing 30 seconds of you on stage at 19 years old? Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. Play this because this is All interesting. Right. Yes, go ahead. Go Pat ahead, Oswald, comedy superstar <laughs> who is doing arm's length from his home, <laughs> once started like this. But right now, let's talk with this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Patton Oswald. Go. Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah, man, dining hall, dining hall food in college. You like it? Yeah, me neither, man. I hated that stuff, man. It's like a testing ground for airline food they had working <laughs> in there, man. It's good stuff, yeah. I don't think you should have to, like, cut meatloaf with a steak knife, you know? <laughs> Our school is like a black conductor skills hall they had us working with over there. <laughs> Broccoli isn't spreadable, right? You can't spread that stuff. Unless you're in college. Ketchup isn't a vegetable. I don't care what Congress tells us. <laughs> okay, you hear that. What's going through your head as you listen to it? Well, here's what's going through my head. This was weird. I had, I had started doing stand-up, and then I got cast in an industrial film uh, about how to uh, get help with your college loans, and I played a stand-up. So they wrote this material for me, and I had to deliver it in the way that I... So in my defense, that's not my material, although oh, my really? material when I was 19 was not much better, <laughs> but that is an industrial film that was... Although it is my first paid gig. I was paid... $300 for it. And I did this thing, but, but it was weirdly enough. It's a pretty good snapshot of still how I was as a comedian at the time. So someone handed you the spreadable broccoli joke and a $300 check and you said, great. I'll take it. I gotta, I gotta make this work. And yeah, so exactly. <laughs> well, oh my God, you've worked your ass off. I mean, you've come a long way and I know you've made a lot Thank of you. friends and comedy along the way. Yes. Before we move on to question two, let me give you one hypothetical. All right, okay. follow this. You're walking down the street in Los Angeles and a Cadillac mm. pulls up next to you and some men in pinstripe suits stuff you into the car, okay? <laughs> yeah. They seem to be with uh, the mob and they say to you, yeah. 
we're going to finance a movie and we want you to write and direct it. We're going to give you $50 million and you can have any two people in the world be in it. We got contacts. We can put them in your movie. But if this movie is not a hit and it's not hilarious, we are going to kill you. What two people are you putting in the movie to save your life? <laughs> oh, my dude. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, if, if you're asking me who I think are the funniest people um, around, I would probably, and if, two. by the way, if my, two, if my life depended on it. It does. They're going to kill you with Tommy guns. My life depends on it. I would probably pick, um, oh my God, now I'm freaking out. They're waiting. Um, uh, Rachel Bloom. And, yes. um, yes, Rachel Bloom is hilarious. And probably, uh, Oh God, Will Sasso. Okay, you heard me, Will Sasso. That guy can do no wrong in my book. All right, see, I'm thinking you're gonna go. Okay, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Will Ferrell, like the legend. You're gonna go Bloom and Sasso to save your life. I love those guys, but that's those because, are because they are such heavy hitters. They always show up and they deliver. I'm not talking about who are the biggest stars right now. You sure. know those two should be huge. I'm talking about who absolutely always delivers. I would stake my life on those two. Incredible. That's a great answer and a great endorsement. I think that's the kind of guy you are. You look out for people. You got your people you like. You're going Sasso and Bloom. Well, I'm also looking out, for my, I'm looking out for myself. That's, <laughs> that's a very selfish answer. I'm looking out for myself. It's all about that. And you are selfishly yes. getting a one out of one right now as we move on. You're ahead of the curve. Question number two all right. for Pat Oswald. All right, you have a choice here. I'll give you a choice of categories. You can either have mixed martial arts or... In the year 2000, which would you like? God. I'm going to go in the year 2000. Okay, here we go. Your category, right. Pat Oswald, in the year 2000. Rock band Creed had a massive hit with what power ballad in the year 2000? Um, with arms wide open. He says with arms wide open out of the dulcet tones of Scott Stapp, is he right to go two for two? Oh, yeah. Under the sunlight. Oh, my God. The way he says today, and he goes, when I heard the news today, <laughs> it's, it's the most work that's ever been put into saying the word today. It's a lot. And it's, I a, workout. it's a whole workout. You, you're sweating when you're done with it. And moments you, later, <laughs> he says, I'll give you love. I'll give you everything. And it's, it's yes. the same workout. Oh my God, that's right. The word thang, that, the word thang is a P90X workout in itself. <laughs> Just that word. It's, you can do 3,000 lunges or say yeah. thang like Scott <laughs> or, or say thang like Scott. You're an icon. I'm asking you about this because I promised they'd all be connected to your life. Okay. You said with arms wide open, you're doing arms length. Please tell the people how cool this is. How bold it is, how risky it is. What is this going to be? Well, I mean, this is, I, I would like to think that it's bold and risky, but basically it's, it's bold and risky for me because I have never really done stand-up like this without an audience around me. I've seen other friends of mine, Brian Posehn, Doug Benson, Maria Bamford, have done it. It's very weird. It feels like a lot of us are stepping into this new, you know what it feels like right now? Remember when MTV came along sure. and all these massive arena rock bands like REO Speedwagon and Black Oak, Arkansas. Some of them were not able to make the transition sure. into videos. So I'm, it's, it'll be weird to see which comedians can make that transition and which can't. Like Tom Petty was able to do it. 
REO Speedwagon wasn't. So we'll see what, you know, we'll see who's Tom Petty and who's REO in this new regime. We're all in our bunkers, for God's sakes. It's going to, there's a danger that it could be Zoom killed the the comedy star. This is the new, this is the video killed the radio star for stand-up, by the way. So are you even going to stand? Like, are you going to be sitting on your couch? Or like, how is this thing going to go? I have been, you know, it's weird. I've been messing around with, should I be standing up? But I, it looks so weird when you're standing up. Yeah. It's actually weirdly more intimate than when you're here. You know what I feel like? This is the equivalent of like, when you go to a concert in a stadium, but they have the big screen TV, yes. so you can see close up on the singer. So this is the equivalent of, you're a close up on me and I'm doing my material. If I could, I'd be up and walking around, but I can't. It just looks weird. And I've seen a couple of Zoom specials where people have stood up and walked around and yeah. it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work on this format. Because they're, they're walking around their ottoman and end table and it's so forced. It's not only, yes, it's forced. And it also, it looks like you're watching like some weird shut-in mental patient. <laughs> just th- This at least feels more like a conversation. Right it now. does, but so. shit, that's a long time to carry it. No movement. Yeah. No, because I've seen you work the stage. You, you work the whole thing. You're one of these workers. I walk around, yeah. And well, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of this, a lot of <laughs> flapping around arm stuff. So there'll, there'll be a lot of good. Uh, you can take a lot of screen grabs of this waviness yes. in front of me. Oh my god, look at that! It's oh, awesome. Look at that. That's you, you, of, you look like Billy. That's Blanks actually kind of a cool tie bow. <laughs> 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 this should be your opening joke right here, Pat. Just do that, and you'll just crush. Yeah, uh, two for two, Pat. Two. I'm um, a two for two. two. Yes. All right. So now is when we, listen, this is when sometimes the contestant gets a little cocky and we'll see. This, oh, this may be a very humbling category. Okay. Category here for question number three is spelling. Oh, God. Okay. Now, listen, I believe you're an English major. Were you not? Yeah, but I'm a, t- uh, yeah. Don't you be oh, God in me. I'm an English major. We're supposed to know how to spell. And I know. I'm going to give you one word. I don't know if you've ever heard this word before. Tell me if you have. The word okay. you have to spell, Patton Oswalt is ratatouille dude okay if i get this wrong oh <laughs> man all right okay I, hey here i go here i go don't overthink it okay ready yep r-a-t-a-t-o-u-i-l-l-e holy shit he's right he did it how did, you spelled ratatouille has every vowel in it, A-E-I-O-U, and you got it. Have you ever done I that had before? A, I had a, a panic attack right when I got done spelling it because I'm like, wait a minute, is it L-L-I-E? That's unbelievable. Oh, my God. So I got it right. You got it right. You nailed it. I don't if know I, if we've ever had a contestant start three for three. Like, if hot I had seat spelled, right now. If, if I had spelled that wrong, yeah. that Listen, I could have made it easier and spell, hey, Patton, spell big fan. But no, yes. you're spelling Ratatouille. No, because no, you're um, a sadist. <laughs> oh, my God. The sadism right. will come later. But Jesus, oh, that okay, was good, awesome. Good, good. Obviously, I'm asking Ratatouille because you, years ago, were starting to build up a career and doing well for yourself. You've done comedy. And then, oh, my God, you get to be the lead voice in a Disney Pixar movie. <sighs> That's, that must have been, you must have fallen to your knees. Was that the greatest gig? It was, yeah, it was very surreal to go up there and um, start. It, it came from Brad Bird heard me doing one of my bits on the radio. It was, they were playing one of my albums on one of the satellite channels. And it was a, a bit about steakhouses. And he was like, I want that 
that kind of over-enthusiastic, you know, obsession. Yeah. And they brought me up there. I thought I was just reading for one of the rats. I would have been, I would have been happy to have one line in a Pixar movie. I would have been like, I would have been outside the theater opening day. That's I'm, I'm this guy. This is my uh, drawing of my character. <laughs> You'll see me for two seconds. And then they told me, no, you're the lead. You're Remy. You're the lead rat. I'm like, Oh my God. It was amazing. It was truly amazing. So you go in and is, is it a really long audition process? Or you just talk for a while and they heard your voice and that was it. You're the rat. You're Remy. Yeah, it was a combination. I went and I read lines and then I hung out with Brad Bird and we talked about our love of restaurants and food and chefs and that whole world. And then I got a call back. Going, yeah, you're it. Like, and, but then the process of making the movie took two years back and forth, recording stuff, rewrites, going up to Emeryville, going to Bert Lake. So the audition process was actually a conversation. The making the movie, that was a feat of voiceover that was that was just like two solid years and heavy hitters i mean we're talking peter o'toole and ian holm who are uh, legends and then of course like brad garrett who, who came out of the womb ready to do disney movies yeah, voiceover voice, my it's god amazing. it was put on the plane yeah. he's like the lebron james of voiceovers like that's what you're supposed to be doing you had to hang in with him and people listening right now pat maybe if they don't have children they're like ratatouille yeah ask them talk about goodfellas now hold on that you are constantly played in my house. It is really, it, you, you are extended family. You and Adina Menzel, I, I see them more than my wife. Oh. So you are in a lot of houses as Remy. Yeah, I remember um, Anthony Bourdain, after he saw Ratatouille, he said, that's the most accurate movie oh I've gosh. ever seen about how a restaurant works and what the culture is, how kind of damaged a lot of people are that work in restaurants, how obsessed they are. Yeah. And so he goes, they actually got all those little aspects right. But yeah, I mean- I remember wow. I went up to Pixar one time and they had the audio of the, Peter O'Toole had recorded all of his audio. He recorded it in England and the animators treated that like the Glen Gary leads in Glen Gary, <laughs> Glen Ross, like whoever did the best work. They were like, whoever we're literally having like a contest. Yes. Someone is going to get to animate him just the way he says the word popular. Remember how he draws it out? They're like, that is the, that's going to be the greatest animation of all time. Whoever gets to do that, and they were fighting over literally who, just who gets to do the facial animation on popular. Wow. That's yeah, the incredible. Glenn Gary leads. That was Second place is, uh, you, know, you, you get to be in a bug's life. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, I love bug's life. Hey, I love yeah. bug's life too. We yeah, live yeah. by those movies and you sell uh, them. That was one of the coolest moments we've had on the show. Because <laughs> none uh, of the, that, you were Philippe Petit. This is walking on a wire between the Trade Center buildings. I could not believe that you did that. Oh, you nice pull. All right. Wow. That's All a right. Deep reference. Speaking of pulls, yeah, we try. You're three for three. Question number four. Let's just keep going. Keep it going. Question number four is fun. You're going to love this. The category is name the movie. I'm going to play oh. for you a clip about 20 seconds long from a movie. And all you have to do is say what movie it is okay. to get to an official four for four. For Patton Oswalt, please play the movie clip. Where are you going? You got the keys to your car. Why? What's wrong with the limo? Look, the limo is buried back there. Daryl can't get it out. Mm. Please give me the keys. All right, look, I don't think you should drive. You're a little excited. Don't drive my car. Let me work something out here. Fellas, what kind of a system is this? Can you move these cars out of here? Look, Edward. Edward. Uh, are you familiar with a stick shift? Have you uh, yeah. driven a shift? Yeah, yeah. Listen, all right, just, just beat ginger with it. Your brow is furrowed, Pat. Remember, um, it has something to do with your life. Yeah. Recognize anything in that clip? Any I voices? Wait a minute, wait a minute. God, that sounds like Paul Reiser in um, 
Diner? Diner is a great movie. Is it the movie that we just played a clip from? So embarrassed. It's not. Okay, I love oh, the equalizer. You know whose voice it was? It's it's also a kind of iconic voice from the same era. The voice you were saying about, hey, have you driven a stick shift? Jason Alexander. It's Jason Alexander. Oh God, I know it. <laughs> what is? Wait. Oh, it's um. Is it Pretty Woman? It's Pretty oh. Woman. Yes. Is it? it is Pretty Woman. Yeah. Richard Gere, Jason Alexander. Damn it. Um, I'm sorry. You don't get the. <laughs> Pat, you are into it, and I love you for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that drives me crazy we asked you about it though because how's it connected to your life jason alexander was a co-star of yours on a very popular television program once called the seinfeld chronicles but then just seinfeld what do you remember about being in seinfeld and what did you play i played a video store clerk uh, in the episode where uh george is trying to rent breakfast at tiffany's because he has joined a book club doesn't want to read the book take yourself to see the movie Two things I remember most about that were I got the part because when I auditioned for Jerry and Larry David, I did I didn't realize I did this either. I subconsciously, when they're reading me his lines, I did the 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 retail thing of looking around to who can I pass him off to, which because I worked retail for years and I'm sure you've dealt with this. When you get a shitty customer, you're like, who can I hand him to of my coworker? <laughs> and I didn't realize I was in which they loved. And then right right before they yelled action, I was with um um um, Jason. Yeah. And they, and they went, okay, speeding. And he goes, not too late to be fired, Pat, and have fun. And then oh, actually, awesome. and the, but it made me laugh so hard that it loosed me up and I had a great scene. I did it in one take. So that sounds speed, quiet on the sets. Here we go. Not too late to be fired, Pat. Have fun. Uh, can I help <laughs> you, sir? <laughs> That's amazing. And you, yeah, like, the best. So you're in the room with, with Jerry and Larry and yeah. this is, do you, was it in New York or were you in LA? Right in LA. And, and it was, this was, I believe, season seven, where it was almost like being at a filmed play. They worked out in rehearsals, everything so perfectly. They knew each other's rhythm so well that they almost shot it in real time. A lot of TV tapings take a couple hours. Yeah. I think this took just over 45 minutes. Oh my God. And the director, I remember the director had his little, um, uh, uh, podium on wheels and he would just wheel to each thing and set up, go. And they would do it a couple and boom, they would go to the next one. It was so fast. They were just, it was just the, the rhythm on that show at that point was incredible. Well, it's, it's so fast because they, they are all on the same page. And it's and one thing to go into Seinfeld season one, season seven, it was already a coast to coast sensation. Yeah. Gary was an icon already. So you walk into that room with your sides, you know, which is actually <laughs> your lines on a piece of paper. Yeah. And there's Larry and they got the camera rolling and like, were there nerves at that? That's a big audition. Oh, hell yeah. Right. I mean, just, just watching, watching um, uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus yeah. uh, doing her scenes. Um, even just like the other guesters, um, Re Rene Santoni, who played Poppy, um, who I, I knew from movies like, you know, he was in the, he was in Dirty Harry, for God's sake. Like, he's been around forever. He, he like they, they just got had all these ringers just coming in and nailing everything. And so, yeah. So being part like I just don't want my arm to get ripped off by the gears when I get close to the machinery. I just want to I want to feed into the flow and not gum it up. It's amazing. Last question. Yeah. Where did you work retail? Oh, God, I worked retail at Waxy Maxi's, which is a record store. 
uh, in Northern Virginia. I worked at Fr- Frank's Family Restaurant. I worked at, um, where the hell else did I work? Retail. I did retail somewhere else, and now I cannot remember. But it was always like dealing with, you know this. Have you ever worked retail? Yeah, I worked at the mall. I worked at this place called Suncoast Motion Picture Company that Sun- sells videos. Yes, yes movies. It's yeah. like where you go to get a VHS. Yeah. And I'm sure that you had people back then. That was back during um, the big uh, box set era oh, yeah. for, v- for VHS tapes when they bring out the special edition of Wizard of Oz with all the extra yeah, goodies. widescreen. And- wide yes, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that you had to deal with all kinds of people bringing something back. I bought this. Yeah. And it says, mm-hmm. and you've got to go, um, yeah, let me, let me get, get the manager. Like, how can I get this person away from me? I know. I pre-reserved Independence Day, the double VHS. <laughs> it's supposed to be here. I'm sorry, ma'am. It's not here. It's not. If, it, if we walked into Waxy Maxis as you were working there, what song do you think is blasting on the stereo at Waxy Maxis? The era that I was yeah. working there, it yeah. was either... Tears for Fears. Oh, great. Uh, doing um, Head Over Heels. Um, or for some reason, they were um, it, just on a loop, uh, Peter Gabriel's So album. Any sure. album off. That was the one. It was selling like crazy. And they're like, have this playing all the time. Have this on the rack. Like, it was just nonstop. Enough of the Tears for Fears. You can't have too much Gabriel. Yeah. Give me more you gotta Gabriel. More Gabriel. More Ga- oh, and I, although the Gabriel, I remember him getting knocked out of his spot yeah. when Whitney Houston's album came out and that swept the oh, landscape. Yeah. And we, that's right. It was Peter Gabriel's show. And then it was just Whitney Houston all day. Question number five, you are three out of four. Let's get back on track. This is a, not a terribly uplifting category, but we're going to make it right. The category for question number five is pandemics. Oh my God. Uh, hold on. Hold on. All I, right. I'm going to lead you straight. What 1978 Stephen King novel centers on a pandemic that kills almost the entire world population. One of my favorite books of all time, The Stand. Ooh, he dunked that one, The Stand. He's four out of five as we reach halftime. I don't think we've ever had it before. The Stand is unbelievably cool. I read it when I was in college. I I couldn't put it down. Me, my friends and I would do that whole uh, cat. We would do that casting The Stand thing way before it was ever moved. Like, who would play this? Who would play this? Um, you know, like I always thought like Bruce Springsteen should play Stu Redman because oh, um, he's clearly kind of like a Bruce Springsteen type. Then I read later because I like the walking dude, Randall Flagg. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe he could be like a Robert Duvall or, you know, but then Stephen King um, said in an interview, he envisioned Randall Flagg, Richard Pryor. Oh, my A gosh. very young Richard Pryor. Because when Richard Pryor was young, and if you watch movies like Blue Collar sure. and Which Way Is Up, he could be kind of evil. Like, he could be very charming, but not necessarily the good guy. And 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 part of Randall Flagg is you want to be friends with him. He's very charming. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't realize till it's too late that, no, he's actually screwing you over. And a young Richard Pryor would have been amazing as Randall Flagg. You're right. Now I'm pissed off that that didn't happen. And I didn't yes. know that about The Stand or Prior. People need to read The Stand if they haven't, as they say, now more than ever. But <laughs> yeah. bringing it to 2020, Patton, you, I want to give you credit. I think you were an extremely early adopter of the mask, like of wearing a mask. I'm, oh, yeah. Not the Jim Carrey movie. I'm talking about actually wearing a mask. There are still people listening now, watching now. I mean, thousands, maybe even, maybe even millions who think it's total hogwash. What, how do you respond to that? I respond to there is always that chunk of people that when, when seatbelts first came out, people would 
Um, my mom so, said, I remember when seatbelts became standard in cars and people would very openly cut the seatbelt out of their car and go like, I don't need the government telling me what to do. Yeah. Um, so there's always, except that back then they didn't have this. They didn't have a platform to tell everyone how stupid right. they were being. They would, they would be stupid to eight people on their block and then people would go, all right, great, Larry, just cut the thing out of your car, whatever, you know. Um, but now it becomes this huge movement. But it, but it's also like, you look back at like the 1918 Spanish flu. Back in 1918, people thought that space travel was impossible and they still understood, yeah, I should probably put a mask on and not die. So like, how have we not <laughs> evolved beyond that? It's just, oh, it's such a bummer. I don't get it. I think there's just people who they probably would say, I know that I should wear a mask and I'm listening, but I just don't want to be told that I have to. So I'm not going to. And it gets to yeah. that point. Like, is this is this your punk rock rebellion? It's, Maybe. it's not going to be smash the state or put a safety pin through your nose. It's going to be, no, give me the give me the virus, man. That's right. No! Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious forever. You're like, okay, dude, go ahead. You are on fire. This is going incredibly. You're four right. out of five. The category for question six is tennis. Tennis. Now, bear with me. What female tennis player was stabbed in the back during a match by a crazed fan? Um, Monica Seles. Interesting. He went with Monica Seles. Guys, could that possibly be right? Unbelievable. Stay hot, Oswald. Stay uh, hot. You, you knew that one immediately. Are you a tennis fan? I, there, I do like some, I, I do like some tennis, especially like the personalities in tennis because you really have to believe yeah. that you're superhuman in order to do well. And like, you actually need to be a little unhinged, I think, to play at that level. And Andre Agassi's um, uh, autobiography, his Open. memoir on tennis, it's amazing. is incredible. Yes, I agree. One of the best memoirs I've ever read. Um, but I know, the, I know that Monica Sellers, and wasn't she stabbed? She, she was on the court, right? Yeah. No, she was on the bench, you know, on the side in the middle of a match. And the guy goes down and stabs her in the back. And why the hell would I have... Funny man, amazing comedian, Pat Oswalt on the show to ask him about stabbing a tennis player well, because you were in a movie called Big Fan. And um, it's, Jesus, if there's anybody listening to this who has not seen Big Fan, it's an incredible portrayal, not just by Patton, but the movie itself. Patton, you play a sports fan who works in a parking garage, Paul from mm -hmm. Staten Island, whose joy is the New York Giants and calling the radio show the sports dog and giving his sports takes. Dog. And his rival is Philadelphia Phil. It's so many great things if you're a sports fan. Um, I, I really reacted to it, Patton, because I used to work in sports radio and I used to take those yeah. calls and I used to be all about them. Tell me about what went into that for you. I have talked to so many people who came out of sports radio yeah. or still in sports radio who are like, that is because the, the guy that wrote it was the same guy that wrote The Wrestler. Yeah. And he, he listens to sports radio and he began thinking about these guys that he would hear call in every week. And you could tell, and again, I'm sure you've dealt with this. You could tell the host was like, okay, here he, like, here he is. It's, it's, it's 17 minutes past the hour. You know what time that is. Yeah. He's calling, you know. It's time from Mort from Long Island. As Mort from Long, yeah. But, but I've talked to so many of these um, sports guys, and I, I, maybe you can confirm this with me. They knew these guys would call in. They knew that it was off of a script. But they could, you could sense the psychosis a little bit, and they would have their program director or engineer like, 
hey, hand on the dump button, like get ready because because this could be the day like this is the week that he might snap. And and it was so clear they were reading off of something that they wrote. It was so clear they were reading off a script and you had to figure out the time when the script was ending and go, okay, thanks a lot. Next, and you, like that must've been like a little dance you had to do every week with these guys. It's an amazing way that you bring that up because here's what happens. Let's go, let's go to Pauly and San Pedro. Paul, you're on there. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, really appreciate it. Pause. <clears throat> so about that Chargers game last <laughs> night. That's the worst thing I've seen since Monica Lewinsky. Like, just like, just terrible. And it goes right to the script and they usually stumble and then they start over. And your portrayal of Paul from Staten Island was so perfect. So did, were you into sports as a fan? Did you study those guys? No, I didn't really, I, I'm not into sports, but I do, I completely understand, as you can tell from talking to me, being obsessed and going deep on a thing that I like. Yeah. To a point where, I remember Roger Ebert said this about fans one time. They don't want, they're not interested in having conversations with other people to learn things. They are interested in asking you questions they already know the answer to so they can tell you the answer. Yes. Like they, they're not, they're not having a two-way conversation. So that aspect of it, he aggressively doesn't want anything new in his world. You know, he's fighting to keep everything. He's like fighting against life. And there's a weird thing at the end that someone pointed out to me, I didn't even, and, and the, the director didn't even realize this. At the end, remember his one friend, um, yeah, sure. uh, played by Kevin Corrigan? Yeah. At the end of the movie, because everyone else he talks to over the phone, at the end of the movie, he's finally talking to his only friend, but he's talking over the phone. Yeah. He's, he's, he's come full circle. He has shut out the entire world. Oh, it's great. It's just so and great. That's so amazing. That he does where they print out the schedule and they say, I, I got us at 10 and six, I, 11 win here. That is so dead on. It is it, to this day mm -hmm. that happens. It's in a way such a heartbreaking movie. But if you've ever listened to one segment of sports radio or watched a football game, please go see Patton in this movie. He is so good. And you just nailed yeah. it. Thank you for that performance. Thank you. Thanks, oh, of man. course. Again, a, a sports radio guy saying, Hey, you got that right. That really, and, and I've heard that so many times and it really makes me feel good that we got that rhythm down, that feeling down. Well, listen, it's not uh, Bourdain saying you nailed Ratatouille, but it's, 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 the, best <laughs> it's the same thing to me. It's same thing for me, man. <laughs> Thank I love you. It. Thank you. All right. So there's a buzz right now amongst the 10 question staff where everyone is freaking out about your score because we've never had this before. We're at a five out of six. The all-time highest scores are Paul Rudd and Tim Robbins at 7 out of 10. So all you need is two more right answers to tie, three to win. And we come on to our favorite category, a fan favorite. This is called Finish This Lyric, Patton. And all we're going to do is we're going to play you a clip from a song. You're going to hear the singer going and going and going. And it's going to stop on a dime. When it stops, you need to pick up the tune and the lyrics from where it stops. Okay. Patton Oswalt. Finish this lyric. I feared my heart would beat in season. I faced the nights alone. Oh, how could I have known that all my life I only needed you? Oh, almost paradise. We're knocking on heaven's door. Almost paradise. 
How could we ask for more? I swear the night of his or her in your eyes. I get it. Hit it and give me the last word. Paradise. <laughs> oh, baby. Unbelievable. That that was a beautiful moment, Pat. Are you all right? Do you need a minute? Well, you know, get you know music. All right, it's it, it's it's a deep emotional duet about <laughs> living in perfect eternal bliss, and I know you know that because there's another definition of eternal bliss, and it's called being a wedding DJ, and uh, oh, that was a wedding staple. It Take really me was back to the Patton Oswalt wedding DJ era, if you please. This was in 1986, 1987. Yep. I worked for a company called Sounds Unlimited in Northern Virginia. We had a, uh, we actually had a mixtape to play uh, at the beginning of the reception, just as like ambient music. Yeah. So it was almost paradise. Um, uh, uh, Peebo Bryson this time, there was like all those, um, oh God, what was the- uh, Journey? There's Journey, who's that guy? Jack Cassidy had a huge- hit oh god this will come to me but it was all those soft 80s yes. hits and almost paradise was but then a lot of times i had to be very careful because at a couple of the weddings almost paradise was the first dance mm -hmm. so you can't play that during the ambient music so i had to listen for when i think it was um uh uh after the jack cassidy song what was jack cassidy song I don't know. That he somebody will google it and text me jack oh cassidy. my god he was a soap opera actor who had a huge... Uh, by the way, that was another big thing of the 80s. There were all these soap opera sure. actors and actresses who had huge, like, soft rock hits. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, even Rick Springfield was on a soap opera, and then guys like Jack Wagner, like, they were just yeah. legends back then. So... Uh, oh, no, I think it was... No, it was, it was Jack Wagner. It was Jack Wagner. Jack Wagner. And it was... Wait a minute. And then there was also those... There was two all people... All I Need... All I need is just a little more time <laughs> to be sure what I feel. Yeah, it was massive, massive hit. That, but there were times where, because Almost Paradise was the first dance, I didn't make sure not to play that and skip to the next one. You got to save it. Well, listen, Jack Wagner. Oh my god, Jack Wagner. We got to get him on the show. I we had Paul Rudd on the show, and he would do weddings and bar mitzvahs, and I asked them. Like, what is the song that you're like, I can't ever hear that song ever again. Bleep that song. He gave us Moni Moni. Um, yeah. What I Like About You. Uh, I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred a little later and then Can't Touch This by Hammer. Pat, yeah. there's some songs where you're just like, I'll punch that song in the face if I ever see it. On yes. The oh, my God. Lady in Red. I, I never <laughs> near, need to hear Lady in Red. red with me. It was it was bad enough hearing the song when I had to play it, but yeah. I've also had to work with wedding singers. Yeah. So I was the ambulance in between them, and I saw a guy sing Lady in Red, and the thing that pushed me over the edge when he goes, um, "Is dancing with me? How we dancing? Cheek to cheek." And I was like, "I okay, I can't, no, I'm done. That's it." Like like I wanted to jump off the planet. I couldn't. It was no. That was what totally pushed me. How we dancing, everybody? How we dancing, everybody? Cheek to cheek. I'm like, no, 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 we're done. We're done. Give me a sense of uh, visually. Give me a sense of your attire that you would wear. Do we? Are we talking like gold cummerbund? What do we got? It depended. I mean, some people. Um, a lot of times, it required a tuxedo. So I, I, I had a white tuxedo that I would wear. Oh my gosh! With the with the, with the cool. Um, 
like uh, chess king style bow tie oh, yeah. with like the paint, the black bow tie, but with the paint splashes on it because I'm crazy. Bad boy. Who, who knows what I'm going to do? And then, but then also like red sneakers. Whoa. Holy shit. This guy's nuts. <laughs> um, and then other times it was like a suit or if I was doing like a, like an outdoor festival, then obviously shorts and a, and a t-shirt, but like still look festive and cool. And you know, anyway. That's so badass. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it terrible. Kind of is. Like <laughs> DJs are always cool. I, I just, it, it, so now you go, if you go to a wedding, like, will you interact with the DJ? Will you sympathize? Like, do you have like oh my a, God. A, a, a tongue that someone would for wine that you don't have for a wedding DJ? Oh, I have so much empathy for wedding DJs and <laughs> wedding singers. And because one thing I always knew, it's, it's, it's a rule in the, in the wedding entertainer business. Um, a nervous hostess never feeds uh, the help. Um, so a host or hostess has got their shit together and is on top of it. It's like, by the way, DJ, you know, take a break this half hour. Go to the go to the um, buffet, grab some food, get a little dinner, relax. And the ones that are hey, freaking out, they don't bother to feed you. So I always make sure the... Uh, the people at the at the wedding have food, chill out. When when um when uh my wife and I got married, Meredith, I got well. This doesn't really count because our DJ was our friend um, Questlove DJed our oh, wedding. Oh, cool! So he just showed up and just Questlove is a goddamn sorcerer. He like the 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 dance floor was like half full, and he just started laying stuff down, and it it was like this magnet just pulling people. It was incredible. Um, but even then, we're like have some drinks there's past food everyone like we were just so on top of it, it see great. that tells me too that your wife is cool because there are brides who are like the quest of is going to take the spotlight from me like i don't want to have a famous dj it's supposed to be it's my day no no, no she was so she, oh, are you kidding she was like you know had her her best friend sang um the song when she walked down the aisle, my friends Amy Mann and Michael Penn sang our first dance song. Dude. Questlove, Questlove, like texted both of us. He goes, "I called dibs on DJing your wedding." We're like, "Absolutely, got him a plane ticket. Like, get him out here." She was all about because she she is this. She has that great like. I want to make everything better for my friends. If I raise everyone up around me, it just makes everything better. Oh, that's great. So that's her attitude. She's just so zen and cool. I'm happy for you. I'm, uh, that yeah, is a really yeah. really cool thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually. I'm getting a, a uh, pulled up a picture of Questlove at your wedding. He's got a bow tie with a paint splatter on it. That's crazy. And red shoes. What? what the, um, okay. Can we cut out the part where I'm making fun of that, please? I don't, I don't want to. He's going to be really known. <laughs> There's nothing to be made fun of because we're sitting <laughs> six out of seven for Oswald. Stay hot. And we're going to question eight. We're almost there. He is, of course, the star, the host, the brain behind arm's length, the at-home batshit comedy special he's going to be doing. Mm -hmm. This is to tie for the best score we've ever had. Question eight. Okay. Your category is social media, and it gets easy. There's multiple choice. Which of the following women has the most Twitter followers? Is it A, Ellen DeGeneres, B, Shakira, or C, Kim Kardashian West? And you still have the lifeline, the coin toss. Um, I, you know, wait, wait. Ellen, Shakira, Kim, Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian West. You think Kim Kardashian West has the most Twitter followers? I think she has the most Twitter followers. Gentlemen, is Pat Maswell correct? It's not correct, Pat. We broke it up. Pat, Ellen DeGeneres has 79.6 million Twitter followers and Kim Kardashian at a, a lowly 66. The correct answer was Ellen. 
Alan Kirk. What? I'm sorry. You finally missed the shot. Don't worry. Oh we still God. accomplish everything we need to. You're at six out of eight. Ellen DeGeneres. Um, you ever been on the Ellen show? Uh, no, but I've met her a bunch of times. I've, I've known her since back in the day, but I've never actually been on the show. So she's taking a whole bunch of shit. Cancel culture is out to get her. What yeah. is your take on that phenomenon? Not even necessarily as it pertains to Ellen, but in terms of how that works now. It, I think it, I, I think it needs to be looked at, at a, on a case by case basis. I, I'm not a big fan of, of shining luminol on someone's past from 30 years ago, obviously, like, especially when look, there's stuff on my first couple of albums and I'm like, Oh, yikes. I just didn't know any better. What, what people thought was progressive and woke 10 years ago is not woke anymore. Um, but at the same time, if someone says something horrible two weeks ago, um, maybe at least just go, oh, you know, my bad. I've, I've learned. But a lot of times what, what happens is when you cancel somebody, what happens is they just dig harder into their awfulness and then they become like a martyr for the First Amendment or something mm. or a free speech mm -hmm. martyr. And it just creates more monsters. So I, I'm just, it, it's too, it, it's still, cancel culture is still a relatively new thing. So I can't really pass. I, I don't know how it's going to work out. There's been some, some cases where I think some people have been canceled that shouldn't have been canceled. There's been some cases of cancel culture where I'm like, right fucking on right. finally. Yeah. So, but it's a, it's a case by case thing, unfortunately. There's a, in, in the movie, uh, The Rock, Nicolas Cage has this line where he's talking about VX poison gas. And he says, it's something we wish that we could uninvent. Do you feel yeah. that way about Twitter? You know what? Yeah, there's a, I'm going to make the weirdest analogy what here. What do you got? There's an episode of Gilligan's Island where they find this bush that has these seeds that when they eat the seeds, they can read each other's minds. So there's no more private thoughts. And it starts to drive them all crazy. And then um, at the end, Gilligan is just burning the, he just burns it. And they're like, what are you doing? He goes, and Mr. Howell's like, I could make a fortune off of this. He goes, yeah, but we can go back to being friends. Mm. Like it's this, and it, to me, again, it's the weirdest analogy to bring up, but there's an episode like of it. Gilligan's Island that's basically about Twitter. Who knew Gilligan was that big? It's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You have a fascinating relationship with Twitter. There was an incident, there's been a bunch <laughs> of incidents, but there was one in particular a little ways back where a guy insulted you and mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, no wonder you die in Blade Trinity. And he said, you suck or whatever he said. He was a dick. Um, by the way, yeah. how do you die in Blade Trinity? I didn't see it. Well, I, it happens off screen, but my throat gets ripped out and I'm lying okay. in a, this giant pool of my own blood. Okay. So. Well, that's kind of yeah. a good description of Twitter. But you then <laughs> went and said... You looked at this guy's profile and you saw that he had a ton of really serious health problems. Like serious he was, was going to die. Yeah. And you turned it into, hey, basically, guys, why don't we help this guy out instead of me just shit canning him and making fun of him? Why did we help this guy out? Like, why did you do that? I had, I had gotten to the point where the snarkiness and the hatred that I was flinging out, which can feel satisfying in the moment, but over time it starts to poison you. And it was starting to make me like my first reaction to everything was this is bullshit. I'm like, so I'm letting other people make me not enjoy things. I'm letting their, and I'm like, what, why are people, why would people act that way? And it's like, if you are, and I don't know if you're watching this new show on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. Are you watching Ted oh, Lasso? Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. So funny. It is. So, I'm so late to the game on this. I can't believe I'm how great this show is. And 
it is such a answer and antidote to this snark culture that we're in this culture of ownage and you know epic uh epic fails and all this stuff where it's like well why not be he does that whitman quote of um be curious but don't judge mm-hmm. you know find out and um so i'm like maybe i should be curious about why people are being or be curious why someone is saying something racist or horrible be curious about this stuff and then maybe try to change them rather than banish them mm-hmm. do you know what i mean because oh it, dude it just, i know exactly what you mean I, I don't know but it's way way harder than than maybe you're putting it because you're in the roman oh, coliseum and people are following Patton Oswalt and they like his comedy and they see him in movies and they would love to see you just roast some guy and just destroy him and you wouldn't do it. And then you'd get the likes would just start flying and you'd be trending and Patton Oswalt does this. But instead, like you raised thousands of dollars for that guy. And it was a hard yeah. moment for you to say, no, I'm not going to pander to the Coliseum crowd. Well, it wasn't even that I wasn't pandering. I was like, can I, can I try to overcome my own awfulness in this? But even then, like, there are, are still like that. You have to, unlike in movies and TV shows, there when when a character does an epiphany and they're changed forever. In real life, you've got to work at that every day, and you got to let yourself go. Oh, there's some days when I'm going to be in a bad mood, and I'm just, uh, I'll see someone being so awful or racist or something online. Sometimes not even to me, and I'm just like. Why does this even, you know, and you do want to crush that person. And there are days where I, I, I give into that impulse, but I'm trying more often than not to do the, the good thing. God bless you, dude. I, 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 God bless you. And thank you. We're about to finish. Here is where we stand to our listeners and viewers. Patton Oswalt has been the best contestant we've had so far. He's at six out of eight with two questions left. He also still has the lifeline. I haven't used a lifeline. You didn't use the the coin toss. And I got to tell you this now. It doesn't really work for question 10. So question nine is probably you want to use it. However, here's what's wild. Mm. This category, I don't think you're going to need it. This is a belt high fastball for you to get out of the park. You're going to see what I mean. Question number nine for Patton Oswalt. Your category Patton is Star Wars. Now, here we go. This is what I have for you, Patton. Okay. I have an easy medium and hard Star Wars question. You can pick whichever one you want. They're all worth one point. It is up to you. If you get this right, you'll tie the all-time highest score. Would you like the easy, medium, or hard? I will, No judgment if you take the easy one. Which one do you want? I don't want to... I'm, I'm too... Star Wars knowledge is so vast. I'm too scared to go hard, but I don't want to win this one an easy one, so I'm going to go medium. I like it. Star Wars, medium, <laughs> medium, medium difficulty. Patton Oswalt, what does the tie in TIE Fighter stand for? Twin Ion Engine. It's right. Oh my gosh, that was so clutch. And the reason we went so deep on Star Wars is that you amongst Star Wars lovers in the public eye are something of a Jedi yourself. And it has a lot to do Take long it. monologue that was legendary oh, God, on YouTube. Yeah. This is Parks and Rec, where in which Patton's character is exercising his right to filibuster. Amy Poehler doesn't love it, and we're going to hear a brief clip from it right now yeah. because this yeah. is legendary. Commander Luke Skywalker, now a full Jedi Knight, uh, training new Padawans, uh, is using, ironically, 
uh, his father Anakin's red lightsaber, which will be uh, a, a symbolic, I think, visual for his battle uh, with how to uh, both bring about the new uh, Jedi Order uh, while still um, acknowledging his father's uh, fall from grace. This is uh, as he is training. <laughs> oh my God. That went on for about eight minutes. <laughs> tell, tell me about that experience. That it's, it's very simple. I love, love, love Parks and Rec. I was so excited to be asked to be on the show. They knew what a fan I was of it. And I think the director, because I knew all the writers, I knew everyone on that show. And I think they just said, all I was supposed to do in this scene was st start talking for 10 minutes as if a filibuster starting. Yeah. And then they were going to yell cut. I mean, talk for like 10 seconds and they okay. would yell cut. That was a joke. And they're going, just let's not yell cut and see what happens. See how long he goes. For real? So I was so worried about being fired. I just kept going and I just dumped every bit of Star Wars comic book pop culture knowledge out of my skull. And it shows you how brilliant Amy Poehler is because, you know, a, a less secure actor would have tried to jump in with a million jokes. She hangs back. And then at one point she just says, I don't, I think the female part. I think the female part's a little underdeveloped, <laughs> which by the way, a kind of is, is such a great statement on all those films. Yeah. Um, but, but like that was, she's actually kind of, she ends up getting into it and then just points out, just want to make it a little better. That's all. It was, oh, so great. So for the record, you were prepared to just talk 10 seconds of Star Wars nonsense. That was it. And you ended up going minutes and minutes and you're just completely shooting from the hip with anything. At one point you're like, and then, now stay with me here, uh, <laughs> Thanos it will show up and we combine and that was just, you're just ad-libbing the whole time. There's no notes, there's mm -hmm. no prompter, none of that. No, it was just all, was like eight, I think it was like eight and a half minutes. And I think when I mentioned Thanos and the time gem, they cut to Chris Pratt going like, this is before he had gotten the part of Star-Lord. Yeah. In the, um, so it was this weird foreshadowing oh of gosh. what was, to, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's unbelievably cool. And it just just type into YouTube, Patton Oswalt Star Wars, and you'll thank me later. Um, we're at seven out of nine. You have tied the all-time score. You're tied with, with Ant-Man and Andy Dufresne from Shawshank. Damn. So we are there. Seven out, and you All can right. set the all-time 10 questions record. Here's the All fun right. part, Pat. And question 10 is always an essay. What that means is I have found an opinion of yours or a take of yours, and I'm going to offer you an opportunity to defend that take and convince me it's accurate in about 30 seconds or whatever you want to do. Okay. And if I'm convinced by your essay, I give you the point. If I'm not convinced, you will end with a 7 out of 10. Here it is, Patton Oswalt, for the greatest score in 10 questions history. Patton, you must convince me of the take that you've had, which says... Denny's isn't some place you just go, it's a place you end up. The reason that I said that is because Denny's is uh, the one place that you know that if you actually have no plans, that if you don't care, you don't care about tasting your food, you just need the calories and the energy to keep going on. It's the one place that if you show up and just eat with your head down and gloomy and you don't want to talk, they absolutely will not judge you. Everyone is there fulfilling a function and just getting through the day and they respect the grind. He says they respect the grind. I say this is the essay question heard all around the world. You've gotten an eight out of 10. We have an all time Shit. highest score. You have I got the highest? 10 questions. You are better than Paul Rudd, better than Aaron Rodgers. You have finished the 10 questions better than all of them. Pat Oswalt, eight yes. out of 10, how do you feel? You know, uh, <clears throat> it's been a lifelong dream, man. Yeah, it's just, uh, 
truly amazing to be here. I just want to thank uh, my mom. I want to thank my, my, my coach, uh, Coach Stanton, for believing in me uh, back in seventh grade. Uh, it just really, and this is really for everybody. This is for all the, all the pasty geeks that came before me and fell in the field of battle. This is for all you guys. All the pasty geeks eating the moons over Miami yeah. at Denny's, an <laughs> unbelievable thing. Patton, anybody listening to this, if they weren't already, is going to be a huge fan of yours. Tell them Thanks, once man. more when and where they can watch Arm's Length. On Friday, uh, October 23rd, you can go to onlocationlive.com forward slash Patton Oswalt. You can buy your ticket. And starting at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, I will be sitting there much like this. I'll be sitting in probably in this chair, talking for an hour, all new material, everything that's been going on these past six months, everything that I think is going to come to us, other ruminations, other stuff. Tune in. It's a whole new hour. Unbelievable. I assume the information will be on your Twitter timeline as well, and you'll tweet that. I will be there. You should be there. Patton, last order of business. We end every episode of 10 Questions with a call out where I ask the contestant, call out a public figure you might know who could come on this show and potentially oh. challenge your score. Whoever you want, Patton, who said, you got to do 10 questions and let's see if you can beat my eight out of 10. Yeah. Hey, this is Patton Oswald. You know who I'm calling out? I'm calling out Jason Sudeikis. Because you gave me hope and you gave me optimism and I am optimistic. You can beat my score. All time high score of eight out of 10. Sudeikis, take it. We love you on Ted Lasso. Oh, I hope and we love yes. Patton Oswalt. Patton, uh, I've watched you, admired you for years. I've listened to your specials. My wife loves you. I know you've been through <laughs> unbelievable things prof professionally and personally. And the fact that you came on the show is an awesome, awesome thing for me, man. Thank you so much. Eight out of 10. Pat and Oswald, we'll see you next time on Yes. Sessions. Thanks, man. Ten Questions with Kyle Brandt is a co-production by Spotify and The Ringer. The show is produced by Richie Bozek, Jason Gallagher, Noah Malalay, Steve Allman, and Jackson Safan. Our theme song is by Matt Schiltz and Bobby Lord. Additional sound design by Bobby Lord.